Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You're very welcome to this, our 119th uh, in the series of uh, Signpost webinars. The webinar is brought to you by Chagas in association with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, the rural, uh, National Rural Network and Food Drink Ireland. Um, my name is Ger Shortle. Um, I'm the manager of the Wicklow, Carlow, Wexford um, Advisory Region. Uh, our speaker this morning is, is Derek McLaughlin. He's the project manager in, on the Wild Atlantic Way. That's an innovative integrated project that's been funded there uh, by the EU Life, Life Programme. Uh, Derek is an ecologist by training and his particular interest in um, how we interact with nature and how society deals with nature and uh, the role of results-based payment schemes in helping to implement policy in agri-environmental areas and, and get the best results we can for the uh, investment we put into them and involving a, a broad range of actors, including farmers, the general public and uh, public bodies and and all, all with the uh, objective of getting the best result for both agriculture, for society and for nature. So uh, Derek, um, thanks very much for, for uh, joining us this morning and uh, sharing with us your knowledge on this uh, very interesting project, which is which is a, a very large and uh, significant project in, in the context of managing uplands. By the way, this is part of a series of uh, focus on uplands that we're doing at the moment. I think this is the third week of a four-week series. So you're, um, we hope to explore that topic very uh, fully uh, during that time. So Derek, uh, without further ado, if, you, if you'd like to give us a little bit of a, a background uh, of how you got to where you are in terms of the, the, the path you've, that's taken you to this project and to your current role before you start your presentation. Well, uh, thanks uh, very much, uh, Ger, and uh, hello, everyone, and uh, look, it's great to be uh, here uh, speaking today. Um, yeah, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm an ecologist by, by trade. I'm uh, broadcasting here from West County Mayo, um, I suppose one of the best counties never to have won in All-Ireland over the last seven, 70 years. I think about it every morning, but nonetheless, um, yes, I have a background in, in ecology um, and for the last, I suppose, 20 years or thereabouts have been involved in, in agroecology and um, the ecological aspects of, of, of agriculture practice, uh, the development of agri-environment programs um, with better environmental outcomes uh, and uh, working, to, I suppose, to, to, to make them as effective for farming and for, for nature and for, for biodiversity and so on. Um, would have worked previously on one of the EIPs, the Pearl Muscle Project, and before that would have worked in the development of, of um, results-based uh, programs on um, uh, one or two EU-funded programs. And, and previous to that, then, I would have done a lot of work in consultancy that included a lot of, of, of monitoring of, of the likes of GLASS and, and EOS and, and other previous agri-environment programs. So that, that's where I'm coming from. Thanks very much for that, that very succinct uh, summary. I'm sure uh, there's, a, there's a lot more detail, but we haven't time this morning. We, we need to get straight into the, the topic of the morning, which is uh, the, the, the project you're currently uh, managing and, and will be for, for some considerable time into the future. It's a, it's a big, long project. So the, the Wild Atlantic uh, Nature Project, Derek, uh, I'll hand over to you now to present to us on that. And after that, as I say, uh, we'll have um, Q&A. So Derek, I'll hand over to you now. Thanks very much. As Sir mentioned, uh, Wild Atlantic Nature 
uh, life integrated project is a um, a large project and I there's a lot of different wings to it I'll, I'll take some of the aspects I'll try to give a big uh, over oversight uh, picture of it but will particularly focus on more on the agri uh, agriculture side of, of the house uh, today um it's as Jer mentioned it's an eu uh, funded project and, and under the life program and life is a, a funding stream that assists member states in meeting their their various objectives various um, re regulatory objectives european regulatory objectives and in this instance we're looking at um, nature particularly um, climate and water so it's under the prioritized action framework which is something that a lot of people don't need to know what it is but it, it's um it's relates to all aspects of, of biodiversity and so on so it's a basic budget of, of 20 million um across nine years uh, that will run to about 2029 or thereabouts and it's i'll talk about the budget maybe later on and some of the very interesting aspects to that um, it's particularly aimed at the Natura 2000 network, but uh, you'll see as I go on that the remit is actually is, is broader than that. It's, it's policy and it, it's connections between these sites. And ultimately, it means that, that we have some sort of remit with, with all biodiversity, um, water quality, uh, uh, climate and, and so on. And a, a really, really big focus, like naturally enough. And obviously, I would say that uh, the quality of of the lands that we're, we're dealing with um, reflect the types of land use that are there and they reflect the the, the, the intensity or the, the, the type of, of farming that's done there. So like our, our key focus are our farmers for an, an awful lot of, of our areas um, and other landowners as well, including um, some of our partners, including the likes of Quilch and so on. So it's an expansive area where particularly uh, we're focused in the Northwest as, as it stands and our sites run for, uh, across uh, Blanket Bog, um SACs from their special areas of conservation from the Schlievochtis right through Connemara through North Mayo into the Ox Mountains, Sligo Leitrim uh, and up to North Donegal. So it covers an area of over 250,000 hectares uh, of blanket bogs. Um, blanket bogs are, are a particular uh, point of interest to us in the project as well and um, for, for many reasons that I, I'll uh, just discuss um, uh, shortly. Um, actually, very shortly, right away, in fact, um, because uh, blanket bogs, again, from a European context, uh, Ireland has well over 85% of our of, of the EU's uh, blanket, bo blanket bog uh, resource and blanket bogs are, are uh, generally deep peat areas. Uh, we, the vegetation typically um, uh, dies off and because of the high levels of, of of rainfall in these areas, uh, it, it accumulates. It accumulates at a rate of about one millimeter uh, per year. But the that in itself forms carbon, forms turf, forms bog, and and obviously from <clears throat> living in a world that we do with with the climate issues that we're dealing with, uh, that's obviously very very significant. And you know you can some of these kind of maybe pub statistics or, or pop statistics of the peatlands cover only uh, 3% of the world's land surface but store more carbon than all of the other vegetation types uh, combined is, is pretty significant as well and indeed and, and indeed the top six inches the top 150 millimeters of of um of a blanket bog contain more carbon per hectare <clears throat> than than a tropical rainforest 
And in fact, because the bogs grow, you know, at, at this, say, one millimetre or thereabouts a year, it's constantly sequestering carbon. So it's taking in carbon uh, from the atmosphere. Uh, now, that's provided that they are intact and provided that they're one full uh, hydrological unit, uh, an intact unit. So they, they take carbon in. They're either neutral or you take it up to about a quarter of a tonne per hectare per year um, ind indefinitely, which is really, really, um, really important. Of course, the converse happens as well, that when you drain bogs, it loses it as a, at a massive rate. You could be talking a heavily drained bog could lose um, four or five, six tons of carbon per hectare per year. So that's a really big focus from a biodiversity perspective and from a carbon perspective and from a water quality perspective as well. And of course, there are a lot of threats uh, to our blanket bogs because of our Primarily of our varying policy objectives uh, as a state over the last a state and actually globally over the last um, uh, you know number of decades particularly, um, and in terms of a, a key remit that we have of, of um, you know trying to improve the quality of blanket bogs and and again you can't we can't look at blanket bogs as a single entity by any means because uh, blanket bogs. Then the quality of those, they depend on, uh, from a farming perspective, they depend on adjacent uh, grasslands to, to, you know, manage dock, to manage potentially the blanket bogs and heaths and so on. So really, when we're looking at, at uh, conserving and when we're looking at, at improving the quality of our, of our blanket bogs, it actually includes, includes everything really in, in these areas. But from the when one looks at the barriers to the actual protection of these, uh, the institutional barriers are, are, are a massive aspect to this, because very often farmers are, are extremely adaptable to uh, the types of policies that, that are, are presented on the table. They're obviously farmers are probably amongst the most innovative in our, in our society, actually, to, to and, and need to be. Um, but but as policies change over the years, you know, farmers adapt to that and they do it very well. But of course, our policies, uh, you know, up to now have, have sometimes been quite disjunct in that some policies have given rise to um, you, you know, will incentivize certain type of, of actions and other policies, perhaps agriculture pulling in, in one direction, maybe climate, maybe water or biodiversity pulling in a slightly different one. And ultimately the end result of disjunct or misaligned policies is damage on the ground. Um, it's one often thinks about, well, you know, draining a bog or whatever is the damage, but very often that's obviously the, the symptom, but what are the causes of that? And, and it, it's often a response uh, to, to policy uh, messages. So that's something that, that in our minds in addressing this is, is something we've put a lot of effort into. Um, so, uh, and we know that the evidence is there over the last 30 years, for example, that we know that our water quality, it's, it, there's more than a tenfold decline in the number of pristine water, quality, water uh, bodies uh, that are generally associated with these types of areas, these blanket bog areas. We know that 85% of our, of our um, habitats in these areas are in, in bad or inadequate status, and we know what's happening from a climate perspective. But we also know that the European Court of Auditors have, have been very clear that from um, the European perspective that CAP hasn't been necessarily delivering for biodiversity. Um, and that's something that, that really raises a lot of question marks in terms of we need to be very careful that we're spending money uh, well and as well as we can do and make it work uh, for the farmer, make it work for uh, the environment and so on. And 
I, I think just to, to conclude maybe on the policy side of things, over the past um, 50, 60, 70 years, uh, depending on where our economy is and depending on what our own knowledge is, we had different uh, focuses of, of our, our land use. So uh, we saw blanket bogs as a great place to plant conifers, and we now know that that's not a good idea. Um, we often, um, you know, see from a flood and mitigation perspective, we, we, we sometimes see, um, again, the symptoms and remove what may well be natural flood um, uh, defense mechanisms for further down. We often think that, well, build a dike and, and that will deal with it or, 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 um, or the likes. Uh, it may be appropriate in some areas, but, but in others, it very often isn't. And, and indeed, focusing solely on nature as well isn't necessarily uh, just a positive thing. We need to consider, we need to consider all of, of the aspects on, on a landscape level. But we have learned a lot of really valuable question, valuable lessons over the last uh, the last 30 years. I think with some of the programs, particularly coming from the likes of the Burren program um, and, and, and other programs in other disciplines and in other uh, sectors of society, we know that successful uh, programs, particularly agri-environment programs, needs to have, they need to be locally adapted, they need to be practical and, and they need to be results focused as well, um, they need to be developed uh, with, with local people, they need they can't be um, developed from a, an office here in West Mayo or a, an office down in in in, um, in Enniscorthy or, or wherever. You know, they need to be uh, relevant and related and relatable to, to those areas within which they're going to be uh, developed and 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 implemented. Um, they need to be fairly funded and properly funded, and they need to be flexible and and permit this adaptive management as well. And that's something that's massively important because we all do things differently. Uh, we all do things differently. And who gives two hoots how you get to Dublin, provided you get to Dublin? It doesn't matter whether you go via Mullingar or, or, or uh, Athlone or wherever. And in this instance, if we're looking for a good ecological output, it doesn't matter how one reaches that. So uh, by putting in um, and sometimes barriers can be needing to meet a certain specification or whatever, regard, regardless of the outcomes. That's what I mean by allowing and facilitating flexible management and being results focused. Um, local trust and capacity is something very important as well. And trust is, is, is an absolute um, obvious one. Um, the capacity, by capacity, the ability to be able to understand the scheme that, say, a farmer is in um, or that, that, that a landowner is in, uh, the capacity of uh, advisors, the capacity of Department of Agriculture, of the likes of National Parks and Wildlife Service, of ourselves in, in understanding how these uh, programs need to work. And facilitating improvement is massively important. Uh, and it's something that it's um, basic economics in a lot of, to a lot of extent. If you produce better goods, you should be rewarded um, more. Uh, and, and that's fairly obvious. And similarly, on the ground, if someone, if if a farmer or a landowner is is you know has delivered everything that we need or really really high quality ecological outputs, uh, they they should be rewarded higher than someone that is has lower ecological outputs. Those perhaps with lower ecological outputs are earning their money through some other uh, enterprise or, or maybe a higher investment in another aspect of their of their enterprise. Um, and then accounting for factors inside a farmer's control is something that's very important. Um, you'll have heard of this over, you know, previous um, signpost series, the idea of the results-based payments that um, 
essentially a scored payment, the higher the score, the higher uh, higher the payment. Um, the higher the score, the higher the ecological value, or the higher the ecological value, the higher the score, and then the higher the payment. Um, but of course, in what we need to do is that we need to ensure that that we're not just um, jumping on a, a train of, of climate or just a biodiversity or just a water quality, and then in seven years' time, it's something else. It needs to be a completely coherent and, and integrated approach so that we know that the um, that if something good has been delivered, it's been delivered for uh, for the biodiversity, for water quality, for you know, for all of the the um, services, the so-called environmental services that 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 we need uh, to be delivered. So obviously, the, the the trick in a lot of this is um, rewarding the high quality, but also ensuring that you can incentivize uh, the improvement of the poorer quality as well. So that you're not excluding, um, you're not. Uh, putting perverse by only targeting the poor quality, you're potentially putting in perverse incentives to to disimproving your high quality. Um, so just ensuring that it's considered across those, um, and a very good way in a way that we in uh, wild Atlantic nature that um, we're building on these um, the the the, uh, the experience of the likes of the Paramussel project and the Hen Harrier project EIPs and and several other. Uh, EIPs that have, have developed this this model, and I'll talk about where it's going in a second. But ultimately, this is all underpinned through these scorecards that make a, a lot of sense to farmers on the ground. They're they're um, simple to use, but they're really powerful in terms of describing what's on the ground, uh, but also uh, providing uh, management guidance there. So th these are your score. They will uh, give rise to um, your farmer's payment. They will uh, be the management plan for, for that um, that area or that plot as well, because of course, if you've got, for example, rhododendron in your peatland, it will reduce your score. Um, so the obvious uh, management recommendation there is to well remove or control uh, rhododendron. If you've got if your plot if your peatland is extensively drained, you will have much lower scores there or, or, or very little score uh, from that, and. The obvious one is, is to go and look at uh, restoring um, th those peatlands. So it, it acts as a very, very powerful tool there as well uh, with proper guidance. And, and we use the uh, the payment levels on the left as a little graph that we, we don't pay on something less than a four. And the idea there is that if it's not delivering, it's not it, it's not um, something that, that we can pay on. Um, but it, it provides that opportunity to invest in one's uh, environmental and, and ecological uh, quality and um, and get a better reward and return for that. But it leaves the flexibility to be involved or not as well, and to invest to whatever extent one works one works best for, for that enterprise. So I think that's important. Um, again, we have two payment streams uh, and it's the results-based payment. What does a farmer have to do for that? They don't have to do anything for that. That's what their historical management has given rise to. That's the quality of the land as it stands. And that has the effect of aligning these policies. I showed the tug of war cartoon earlier on, but that gives us rise to, to this alignment of the policies in that we as kind of taxpayers, you know, consider what is, is wanted. And, and it's a very, very clear message from, from, from there. Um, but vital to all of this is that it's not just that, because then that, that could potentially lock in farmers to a low score or, or whatever. But you need this these what we call supporting actions payments or non-productive investment payments. These are those 
potentially payments or and advice and so on and, and support uh, to be able to improve um, your quality on the ground and in the peatland in a broader water quality uh, context it may well be kind of sediment sluices or it may be um, peatland restoration it may be assistance to uh, move away from from turf cutting it may be um, it may be assistance to alter stock management where maybe it was just become specialized um, just sheep when in reality a mix would probably be a better uh, ecological outcome of a mix of, of cattle and sheep and so on um, so so these are all uh, typical um, supporting actions uh, there um, you know, there could be bridges, there could be uh, fences, gates, etc. It doesn't matter what, as I say, if uh, the result is being delivered, this is the tool to, to achieve that. Um, and of course, what this does is that this creates a market uh, for these uh, ecosystem services. Ultimately, you know, we all know that if you bring, you know, a better animal to the market, you'll get a better price than you would if you brought a poor animal to the market and it's the same idea here is that you know if you've got a better output of of biodiversity of better quality water better quality carbon sequestration or, or carbon storage um that ought to attract um you know better payments and and so on all the time and, and this is a really important aspect but all of the time uh providing and ensuring that the support is there uh, to be able to uh, to be able to improve and, and that's what's really really important so um just a, a brief uh, step back from, from what i've just been talking about there um in terms of the overall wild nature approach uh, towards blanket bogs and natural 2000 and broader biodiversity and, and, and climate and so on we have the project is in three pillars as such we look at the central one as such, which is the capacity building, and that's something I mentioned. And that's where our results-based approach fits in. It's this idea of, of building capacity amongst um, the amongst farmers and advisors and uh, the general uh, public, um, Department of Agriculture, National Parks and Wildlife Service, other government departments, and so on, all of, of society. Um, so that's done through our, our results-based program, our knowledge exchange programs, our, our site surveys, our, our training. We do pretty extensive uh, training programs and so on as well for farmers, advisors and, 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 and others, community groups and so on. Um, then there's education and awareness on, on the back of this. This is um, the likes of uh, schools programs that uh, we're working with the Heritage Council, one of our 10 uh, project partners, and they're, um, they've developed a schools program um, uh, on, on this through, we, um, are delivering the likes of um, the, the tourism infrastructure indeed as well, you know, the likes of boardwalks in appropriate places um, and, and so on in, in building awareness and so on of, of, um, of, of peatlands. And of course, then we've got the land and ecosystem management. The, you know, these are, are what one would typically do what actions one would do to improve uh, ecological restoration through invasives removal through uh, peatland restoration uh, maybe it could be drain blocking it could be fencing it could be removal of fences it could be a lot of different uh, different things stock management etc um but this is how the overall project looks but it's all being implemented through the same ethos of the um 
of the, the results-based approach of valuing higher quality on that. So in terms of, of our work to date, we're, we're only in the door about um, since the beginning of 2021. Uh, and last year we had 160, uh, 170 farmers, 167 farmers um, across 20,000 hectares in, in County Mayo with 26 uh, advisors trained and about 18 of those working actively on, on the project. Um, and um, in 2022, now we've got uh, 750 uh, farmers in and their uh, lands are being scored as we speak. Uh, so a, a big aspect of that is building capacity for the new um, acres program. So uh, all in all, um, you know, uh, there'll be nearly three million will be paid out to farmers um, across th these two years, uh, you know, over a relatively extensive area of, of, the, of the northwest. And, um, and it, that's part of that process of, of you know, establishing the approach of, of training of, of understanding the results-based approach, understanding the the um, the quality aspect to it and the improvement of, of quality on the ground. So um, in terms of, of where it goes next, um, you'll be familiar likely with, with the, um, the ACRES approach and the cooperation project, uh, or ACRES rather, and the cooperation project approach that will be running from um, running from um, uh, 2023, from January 2023, uh, there are currently eight cooperation project teams in place across these. Uh, you can see on the throughout the country there, from, from Donegal down through uh, through the country and so on. Um, and the idea there is that they will be using a very very similar model to the one I've just described, where the you know basic payments will be the um, not the BPS, I will just clarify that, it's the ACM, so it's their agri-environment, it's a new gloss as such, um, will be relating to res the results-based payments, uh, but there will be non-productive investment payments for our, what we use called supporting actions uh, and landscape actions to assist in the improvement of quality on the ground. So that's, I mean, the, the finer details being prepared and so on, I think there'll be, a, it'll be all happening on the ground very, very soon, but, but ultimately there is a mechanism by which uh, conservation and actions and restoration actions can be implemented. And that's really, really important. It, from now on in these areas, it will make sense to improve your ecological quality. It doesn't mean that every farmer will or will want to, but what it does is that for the first time, it makes sense to do that. It, and that aligns a lot of the policies. So that's really positive. Um, I see the last sentence there, it says, wild Atlantic nature will provide support and, it's like something from the life of Brian. Um, and that's what everyone hinges on is the and that I, I didn't uh, include. Um, ultimately from 2023, uh, we won't be delivering a results-based program as we have been for last year and this year, but we will build on top of those uh, cooperation projects. And that's a really exciting um, aspect there as well. So um, from January, 2023, uh, another one of our, our 10 partners is, is Chagasks ourselves, uh, Jer and, and uh, Catherine Keane is working very closely with us on this in the development of um, an Upland Farmers Knowledge Exchange Group. And that's really exciting. That's something that's ongoing that has been um, up and running for the last uh, number of months in County Mayo, and that will be uh, rolled out this, this pilot. So that's really exciting. Um, the overall project itself will be there to focus on larger restoration projects, those that would be maybe complex because they're maybe commonage or complex because they're large areas of conifer plantations or whatever. So we're there to assist with 
I suppose a lot of the red tape for a start, but the expertise and, and funding as well. And, um, and indeed, from a funding perspective, um, the idea of, of um, we're demonstrating the, uh, you know, the ability to, to take in money from, from, from elsewhere. We're a life integrated project, so that means that we can we have a remit to, to uh, seek complementary funding that I'll talk about in, in one minute. Um, and um, so I suppose just to, to stand back again from a broader perspective, we now have on a, on a landscape scale, um, I think from, you know, from, from this point on, we have a quality uh, based payment system and, and that quality becomes the platform. And that's really strong from the perspective of being able to demonstrate. And we need to do further work on this. We need to do a lot of work in some areas in terms of, of ensuring that whatever the score is and so on reflects the carbon deliverables or the water quality or the biodiversity deliverables on those. But ultimately, quality becomes the key platform. So we're not going out looking for where are the damaged areas and how do we fix them? We're saying that we're valuing quality. If there's high quality, we value that. If there's low quality, we assist in the improvements of that. So that'll be the basis for, for farmer payments in across 20,000 farmers in, in acres. Um, for land use planning, I see that something that can be really, really important um, because if farmers are doing it, then managing authorities in, in their various areas um, need to be doing that as well. Indeed, from a tourism perspective, the idea of the scorecards a very, really engaging way to actually understand a landscape. From a food labeling perspective as well, the idea that um, lands that have a higher ecological output be it a, kind of like an ATE rating on, on a packaging or so on, uh, is, is very, very strong. And, uh, and that adds value to that end product as well. And again, that forms that, that cycle of valuing the higher e ecological quality. And indeed, the idea of marketing um, Natura, this Natura 2000, which is the network of SACs and SPAs that has been, um, I suppose, slapped down on, on, on some uh, people's uh, lands and so on. And it's, it has been very controversial, but that can be something that could be hugely, hugely positive um, and ought to be um, uh, and, and, and can be, I believe. Um, and then just to um, come into the, the end now, Jer, now, but just I mentioned the, the fact that this is a life IP, which is an integrated project. So it's slightly different from your traditional life projects in that. We have a basic uh, fund of, of uh, 20 million across a whole range of nearly 100 actions or so in, within the project, um, and that's across 10 different project partners. Um, and the complementary funding aspect of that is we, we know that as we go along, um, that, that lots of other opportunities will arise. And we have the, the, uh, the remit of actually seeking complementary funding. And that can be from any, any source, obviously any legal source, but, um, it, but it, typically um, it could be European funded, it could be philanthropy, it could be corporate investment, it could be any aspect here as well, because we've got a very, very strong model here we, where we can you know, demonstrate deliverables. We've got a very large um, you know, number of landowners and uh, stakeholders within um, the overall program. And that's something that's very strong from a funder's perspective. Um, you know, classic examples would be a rhododendron community-led um, rhododendron control project in, in Delphi in, in South Mayo that were, um, you know, that, that has, has worked extremely, extremely well. And that's one where rather than getting contractors to, to uh, go in and just 
clear rhododendron and then be gone out of sight that the local community have have um and, and local farmers there have have been trained and um those that are available or that are interested have, have been trained and now are a real expert in, in the whole process from the mapping through the um prioritization of of where controls to be done and and uh, and then the actual physical work in itself and that means that that resource will always be there that capacity will always be there and that understanding of the management of those areas so that's something that's really important um uh waterlands is another good example it's um it's a, um, a Horizon 2020 funded project of about 2 million that uh, we're um, a partner on uh, with, with a much larger consortium uh, coordinated by UCD and that's in Kulkineeran in, in, on the Cavan Leitrim border. Um, and then there's a whole range of other projects that we're involved in. We're either um, co-funding or we've sought funding from elsewhere. Um, and uh, one really nice example is with the Harris Corner with, with Burren Bio. And that was a very successful program that ran last year in, in the Burren. And uh, we're this year going to, um, sorry, in 2023, we're going to uh, pilot it in County Mayo. And then with, with the view to further rollout of that. So we're a very good kind of uh, practice partner or, or springboard for these larger projects um, and, uh, and so on. And then just to summarize, I suppose that uh, it's, it's a very broad ranging project and so on, but it ultimately the whole idea is the idea of integrating the various different policies that are, are, are at play here, the, the policies that that, that practice and, and so on, with the key thing being focus, focus on on the quality. It's not let's go and find where the damage is necessarily. That's part of it, but it's focusing on the quality. Uh, we see the world in three D, and we will see the world in three D rather than actually that's a mountain or it's not a mountain. Um, results based uh, a model that that invests in uh, landowner skills is, is obviously core to this, and and again. The, the overall model of of the of wild Atlantic nature is a very strong uh, opportunity to assist with 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 local um, local uh, issues, local opportunities, be that on a commonage basis or community groups, and and so on. We've got a website there as well, wildatlanticnature.ie, and um, and just finally, just to thank Jer, uh, uh, Catherine, and and all of you for, for listening here as well. And you'll see that the range of of um, project partners there as well um, across the board. So look, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Derek. Uh, if you could just stop sharing the screen there. Thank, thank you very much. Look, I think in, in the in the time allotted there, you've, you've managed to do a very, very good job on getting across a, a very good sense of, of what is a really significant and, and very large project with a, with a very broad remit. I think it's, uh, you know, it's very comprehensive. It covers, I think, in, in its approach, both in terms of inclusion of different groups and also the the, the um, aims and objectives are extremely broad and seem to be very comprehensive. And so, uh, fair play to you for uh, <clears throat> keeping your head around all that and for, for the people who put this project together. It's, it's an amazing achievement. Um, look, I, I suppose there, there's a thousand questions we could ask about this, but I suppose I'm coming at it from the point of view of where we're, where the rubber hits the road with us in terms of dealing with farmers. Um, how important are is is it vitally important or is it is 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 there some flexibility around say grazing management and grazing pressure and livestock on on the blanket peats? Do livestock are they vital or can you have some flexibility in terms of grazing pressures or is is very specific management required to get to to, to get a, an improvement in your score on these type of um, areas? 
It's a good question, Jer. Um, and it's it's a complex answer, <laughs> as, as, as always. Um, if there's very poor vegetation, clearly any grazing is, is a problem. Um, if there's a lot of bare peat, any grazing is a problem. Um, in many areas and in many commonages, one contiguous unit, uh, you'll often find that some of it may be, may be overgrazed, may be very heavily grazed, maybe bare peat and so on. Other areas may be, the sheep may never go into. Um, and that, that in itself is some, is an indication of, of uh, I suppose, maybe, um, I'd say incorrect stock management in that um, a lot of suckler herds went west altogether in, in the west here. Um, and we, uh, most farms are, are here are only um, only sheep. Uh, the mix at the time of, of sheep and cattle was very good because the cattle would um, would forage in areas that the sheep wouldn't and would open those areas to some extent uh, to, um, uh, to to sheep. So you've got lower intensity across a broader a broader area. Um, so that's the a broader um, stock management. I will say that in deep peats. Um, very often, little or no grazing is that they are kind of a climax vegetation that that do very well by themselves. Um, I think in um, outside of the deep peats, you know, most areas do need an element of of um, of, of of a strong element of of um, grazing management. I would say as well. Now, and of course, as well, I'm, I'm conscious that. Um, that we have a lot of <clears throat> a lot of um, focus on on heats that would be that would be um, upland areas that would uh, traditionally have been grazed and if they weren't grazed we'll go back to, to woodland and so on so that there's there there's a, a complexity about the whole lot as to what the 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 original or what the the ideal climax uh, habitat types uh, would be but generally you find that uh, low intensity diversity. It, it, um, between grazing and and broader management is something that's very very important. Right, so it looks like I mean there's a there's a big need there to tease out these issues with with the landowners and the, far, the farmers who are managing this area because there, there there isn't a simple solution. It's a complex solution, I suppose. That's the the the, the challenge to try and get people's heads around what the what the different management practices are, are which ones are needed in certain places and so on. Yeah, I, I would say that that very often on a site by site basis, as you, as you know well, um, some things will be appropriate and other, other things won't. And nearly every place, nearly every farmer I talked to would actually know the answers as to what it would be most appropriate when you when you tease down through it. But very often, you know, we've gone down the road of of specializing you know specializing in just sheep or and that's that's that their broader policy i suppose decisions that have been made and so on um and i suppose to a very good extent um when you specialize you put more eggs in one basket you know and uh, and i would say diversifying is is probably the you know ecologically and economically is probably the the most safe um Safe that I would say. Well, it's, it's interesting that the cattle may be part of the solution, which you know the, the, they're being pilloried as the as the call it the the source of all of all the environmental problems. But in this case, they may well be part of the solution. Yeah, and indeed, I will say that you know talk of without going down the the rabbit hole of, of the national herd and so on. What does um, worry me an awful lot is that uh, is that in, in some areas 
they're an absolute vital tool, you know, and, and if you suddenly had the, the wrong farmers losing stock or, or a further incentive in some areas, it would be an even bigger swing and it could potentially be, um, you know, have negative output. So it's, it's nuanced and one needs to be very careful as to what our objectives are on a kind of a landscape basis. Thanks very much. Look, I won't hog the, the, all, all the questions. There's, there's lots of questions have come in there. And I think, Catherine, I'll hand over to you to maybe uh, start the ball rolling there with some of those questions. Back to Derek. Thanks, Ger. And yeah, there's a huge number of questions and there's a large audience joined us. And um, I just, before I go to you, Derek, I just clarify a couple of things that, that are easy for me to, to explain. Um, first of all, this presentation and the others will be available, both the, the PowerPoints and the recordings will be available on the Chagas website. And again, just to, to, to reiterate that this is one of four Upland um, presentations. So people joining in today may be interested in the, the previous two, which was Katrina Douglas from the NPWS and um, our Chagas advisor, Katrina Foley, and uh, Owen Carton, project manager of Cumra Uplands Communities. And uh, next week, we will have Killian Kelly from Munster Technological University talking about the conservation grazing and the cattle there that you just mentioned. Um, so they will all be available. That was one question. Uh, another question was, what is acres? So I can possibly explain that one. That is the, the new agri-environmental scheme that will be around from the next five years. Um, advisors are just getting ready to, to draw up the, the plans for that. Um, so that will be the replacement for what was GLAS and would have been EOS and REPS in the past. And there was a query about where organic fits in. So um, Derek may or may not wish to go into that, but just to explain that the organic scheme fits alongside all of these other schemes. Um, farmers can never be double paid for the same action uh, but for a farmer in any agri-environment scheme or, or the wild Atlantic nature may also be inorganic and get further payments for, for the organic side of it. So then just to go back to, we've lots of good questions. Um, so Derek, are you ready? Uh, in terms of practical information, implementation on the ground, differences between life and EIP projects, are there pros and cons? Um, uh, so uh, very briefly, um, EIP um, and, and LIFE are two different, obviously, funding streams. European Innovation Partnerships are the, the EIPs, um, come from um, the Rural Development Programme, so they're, they're CAP uh, funded and they tend to be, um, uh, you know, innovative uh, projects and they do have, have certain rules, but they do are relatively flexible and I think uh, I must commend the Department of Agriculture on their you know, on, on rolling out the IPs over the last uh, five years or, or so, and, and they really have added massively the approach. I think they're um, they're the envy of, of, of Europe from that perspective. So they're very good um, from the perspective of flexibility, of having a good focus and so on. Um, life is... Um, is And I will say the percentage of funding is, 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 is usually... Um, a large proportion of, of, of what's required in terms of the IPs uh, or else it's funded outright. Um, with the life, it's usually, there's a number of funding streams um, funded at uh, 60 and 75%. They um, tend to be really focused, uh, depending on the live stream and nature and so on, they tend to be focused uh, on natural thousand areas and, and so on. It really depends on who one's partners are and and the the organizational setup for state actors primarily 
life is a very very is the one to go for for maybe community groups and so on i would say or was mixed that maybe eips there's also horizon 2020 and there's a lot of other uh, funding sources there as well that 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 can be considered too thank you derek um farmer's daughter living in rural sligo is um question the community side uh, i'm hearing the word farmer a lot and i know that bogland is largely owned by farmers However, I would like to know if there are community-based payment schemes. And the reason she asks is there's more, she, her opinion is there is more chance of a successful outcome if results are rewarded at community level. Um, and there's a risk of isolating farming groups from community groups if farmers are seen to be getting paid again by the EU. Well, I, I would say farmers are part of the community um, and, uh, and and so on. Um, but I do I do um, get, definitely get the point all right that that what about the non-farming um, landowners within the community and and indeed we we have community groups um, that have land that we're assisting with on this. Um, I should make the point that in our first two years, uh, because um, you're talking about the biggest, the biggest, biggest funder of biodiversity and climate and so on in an Irish context and in a European context is the common agricultural policy. So our effort was to try and um, get as best an outcome and assist rather with, with getting as good an outcome as possible uh, with this cap um, that's starting in January 2023. So a big focus was on the design of that. But absolutely, we are very much the Harris Corner, for example, is one in where we, um, with, with the Burren, uh, Bio um, Trust, um, you know, we have a, a small grant for for the planting of trees and, and other um, ecological restoration actions. Um, we hoped to have, um, uh, you know, opportunities for communities, uh, and I would encourage them to, to actually get in touch with us um, in 2023 or thereabouts. That we will hopefully be able to focus on on assisting uh, with the funding applications. Uh, for restoration actions in these areas as well you know so so I, I, like from an integration perspective it, it's all land it, sh it shouldn't really matter about the, the land ownership who owns it necessarily but, but rather that that is functioning well or that we consider and who's the doing the work of. kind of yeah who's yeah. yeah yeah exactly the result isn't it Derek yeah. yeah yeah and again your your life IP is a good example of that you know the, yeah just moving on to another one um is there is there, I suppose the bottom line is, is there help for farmers? Is there expert operators to help rest restoration works? Yeah, yeah. And again, um, it's something that we're building. It's the capacity thing because we can't underestimate that you can't bring a, a new, a whole new system like within acres, the new glass or the new reps in, in 2023 and expect everything to just work uh, perfectly. It will take quite a while um, for, for you know, relevant experts for um, plant hire contractors to become mm -hmm. skilled. And, and now th there are some very good, um, uh, you know, um, plant hire and, and operatives and experts in these areas that have worked with, with the existing projects and outside of those. Um, but something that we're working on with indeed with Board Mona and some other partners as well is uh, training programs for, for contractors um, we've in-house expertise ourselves as well, but are very much our, our big focus is actually ideally that the farmers would do themselves. They would go through a training program and then they will understand how to do the drain blocking if it's drain blocking or the rhododendron removal or whatever management needs be because then they have that capacity and that's that's where the that's where the gold dust is really is, is that ability if, if someone's willing to and if not then you know there are others available. 
what positive change can you see emerging at this early stage on the landscape level? Well, um, the, well, the first thing that comes to mind there is is the the talk on the ground um, and the 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 rumours that someone someone's hill has scored very high or very low, um, and that is I think that's a huge huge change. That means that um, farmers and, and others are are rubbernecking uh, into their neighbours' fields and they're doing an ecological assessment, you know, and they're they're given a score out of ten. And that score out of ten is is based on on the, the quality. So that means that there's um, there's in in that relatively short period of time, there's a very strong understanding of what gives rise to a high score or a low score. And if you know that, well, then you know what would need to be done uh, to improve that. Like historically, you're thinking you look into a rushy field or you look into bogland and you're thinking, well, I lob a drain down here, I catch the drain down at the bottom. So it, it it suddenly opens that door. So in the short term, I think that's that's a really um, a really strong aspect to it. And maybe following on for that, Derek, kind of a hard question because. While the Wild Atlantic Nature payments were on top of the, the glass agri-environment payments, the future results-based payments in acres will be the only show in town. So I suppose for that, when as you're describing, when you're looking over the fence and seeing a, a, a field or a farm or an upland that's scoring zero, how do we... That's the tough one for the future, isn't it? If, if it is in poor condition, no money at all, how do we get improvement? I think that's where the flexibility in, in the schemes are very, very important. I think that's where, and that's the whole idea of the cooperation project teams. So I, I should say in acres, I, I showed six or eight areas, each will have a project team that will cover that. And within the, the new cap, those low scoring areas will, will uh, clearly need assistance. Um, sometimes it'll be something that's, you know, relatively straightforward to, to, um, to, Put in place it might be stock management or it might be you know whatever kind of infrastructure that needs is needed and there is funding available through that um on, on top of their their existing payments um and in complex ones it's someone like ourselves in wild atlantic nature that um you know uh, would and possibly be in a good place to to assist from a big uh, restoration project be that complex because it's there's a lot of shareholders um or or are uh, just costing a lot of money or um or very expensive uh, i would say in the instance of of commonages the, the first thing is the uh, first thing a common shareholder will say well what if someone what if it's the, the big guy that doesn't want to do anything and, and he says no um in my experience of, of working with a good few commonages um like generally uh, if things make sense on the ground even if someone doesn't like someone else they'll they'll let it happen um rather than object it of course there will be some instances where, where nothing can be done because there's there's no agreement or there's complete disagreement. So that, that's always a possibility as well. Um, but, but but I mean, generally, from the broader side of things, when we consider where, where we're, we're coming from, um, the fact that there was no opportunity or no impetus necessarily to improve the quality on the ground is, is pretty significant. And, and to consider that maybe previous payments were assuming 100% um, you know, quality on the ground, perhaps, and then penalties took away from that. Whereas in this instance, uh, one starts with a blank sheet and, and adds to it, uh, depending on their scores. Very good. So there will be help and there will be money, more importantly, available to Money and, and, and advice. And, and yeah. yeah, very often the, the advice is, is the massive thing. I mean, the principle of the money, and, and I know nearly every farmer will say it all is, it's all about the money, but it's actually, 
I know well that that from a farmer's perspective, as as Brendan Dunford in the Burn would say, it's the the pocket, but it's the head and it's the heart as well, and and that they're all very important factors. Uh, how do you see the results of payments for carbon sequestration coming online? Um, I see uh, Wildland to Nature and other projects preparing people and the, and the natural capital for this future. Um, but payments of the carbon sequestration is how do we how do you see that coming? Well, uh, what, what we've tried to do with the scorecards uh, is that, and, and again, with Wildland to Nature scorecards, we're just building on, like ours are very, very similar to um, the, like, the Pearl Mussel and, and Hen Harrier and so on. But what we've tried to do is that we've used kind of basic surrogates of, of, of peatland quality that, that relate very closely to, um, uh, to, to the, the plus or the minus in terms of greenhouse gases, the loss or, or the gain of those. So the cover of, of sphagnum mosses, for example, or the, the cover of bare peat on the negative side. Um, we need to do more work on that, but I would see that, uh, I, I wouldn't, I, I would see that whatever um, way we go in future, that it really ought to be one integrated program so that you're your 10 out of 10 for biodiversity is your 10 out of 10 for, for a carbon. We, we do know um, that our higher scores, their highest scores are the highest scores for carbon. And we know that the middle scores are the middle scores for carbon and so on, but the lower scores. Um, so, but we, we do need to refine that and we do need to do work. And we, we will have an extensive and we are establishing an extensive um, uh, greenhouse gas monitoring program within the project as well to relate our scores on the ground uh, to um, uh, an emissions factor. Ger, I know we're coming close. Can I just do a few more um, uh, comments? Maybe one or two quick ones. Yeah, yeah one or two quick ones and a quick answer, Eric. And the advisors that are trained, um, the question is, are they working? Just explain the structure of the Chagas private advisors. Are they working for you? How they work for you? Uh, well, well, they're they're working for their their um, they're ultimately working. Um, they're nominated by their clients. So that ideally, what we wanted to do in in year one and two, these two years, is that we wanted the, the maximum impact in terms of training and upskilling of advisors and farmers. So farmers nominated their own advisors. Advisors went through a training process as well, and they did an assessment at the end of the past or the failed, um, and and then they are they're paid by the project. Um, at, on behalf of, the, of their farmer and, and they're, they're private and chagas so that they're whatever the, the farmer's advisors were yeah. and excluding those then a question there approximately how many people are working on the project um, it, well there's, there's five core staff uh, plus another um, sorry the seven core staff plus another five um, uh, uh, contractors and a quick comment on the input of the farmer's own knowledge of their land. How significant a role has this with land management decisions? Indigenous knowledge, the importance of it? Vital. I, I would say that that uh, I go to a common age group and um, I'm, I've been working as an ecologist for years and years and years. But uh, the, the first thing to do is to listen to the setup. It's a different language. There's no doubt about it. But very often never far away from from what the solutions are you know if it's a problem with overgrazing or undergrazing or, or whatever it might be it's um I, I find that there aren't massive bridges to cross it is a different language there's no doubt about it and i think that's the communications is vital okay jar okay uh thanks very much uh, uh catherine and derek for for handling all those questions i think there was there was lot, lots of interest and in, in, in a broad range of questions and i hope we, we got to answer all the all the 
the most of them anyway. Um, look, uh, all remains for me to say is thanks very much to Derek for doing a really good job in that presentation. It was really excellent and for fielding those questions so expertly. And, uh, um, you know, obviously we're at the beginning of something here. There, there, there's a lot more to be learned right across the board from all the players in this. Uh, but I think it's in good hands and it, it, it has great promise. Um, just like finally to say thanks to Catherine there for, Catherine Kina for uh, helping out with the questions and, and so so well and for Yvonne Maher behind the scenes who's basically kept the show on the road and produced the, 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 uh, the this morning's webinar. Um, that concludes uh, today's webinar but there is one more webinar in this series on the focus on uplands which is next week and um, the concluding one will, will be a, a lecture or a, a talk given by Killian uh, Kelly um, who's a lecturer down in Monster Technological University and that'll be on uh, conservation grazing in uplands uh, and as, as Catherine said featuring some more extra information on the role of cattle in that which I think is very significant for many farmers um, so that's about it I'd like to wrap up there just to add that the um, today's presentation and the entire webinar is available on the Chagas website as as are the others in the series um, on the on the uplands so if you want to to just go on and uh, review or, or see for the first time some of those, you're, you're very welcome to do so. Uh, that concludes today's uh, webinar and I'd like to say uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.